I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today we have a really fun interview with Callie Uchis, one of the most genre-jumping and fascinating artists of the past few years, conducted by my colleague, Julissa Lopez. Callie's new album just came out. It's called Orchideas, which means orchids. That's the national flower of Colombia. She was born in Virginia, but spent some of her childhood in Colombia, where her dad's from. Her breakthrough years as an artist were in 2017 and 2018. In 2017, she featured on a couple Gorilla songs. And on the Tower of the Creator track, See You Again. Her great debut album, Isolation, came out the next year with some really strong throwback soul tracks like Flight 22. which led to some Amy Winehouse comparisons at the time, though that's really only a small part of what she does. Her biggest hit so far was Telepatia in 2021, which has what I can only describe as chill-way vibes. The new one is her second Spanish-language album, and it's both sonically diverse and pretty much relentlessly up-tempo and danceable. Last week was really a big week, but along with the album release, she also just revealed she's pregnant with her first child. But here's Julissa Lopez in conversation with Caliuchis. Tell me a little bit about where you are now and what you've been up to while waiting for this beautiful album to come out. Yeah, I'm at my home in California. I'm working every day on my next album that's coming out after Orquídeas, actually. I want to get into Orquídeas. I loved hearing a little bit about the inspiration for it. And I feel like you always do such an amazing job of setting kind of a visual and a sonic language for all of your albums. Talk to me a little bit about why you wanted to call it Orquídeas and the inspiration behind it. Yeah, for me, the album, like one of the main things that ties everything in thematically between across all of the songs, which feel all so different genre-wise, is really just that femininity, that eeriness, in a sense, that the orchid for me has. For me, the orchid also represents luxury, and a lot of it is about princess treatment and luxury. So I think that for all of those reasons, it felt like it fully embodied a representation of the album. And then it's also the flower of Colombia. Every time that I make music in Spanish or every time that I draw back to any references culturally, I'm always going to, you know, have... We have a lot of pride in, in Colombia and a lot of pride about where we come from. So that's definitely something that I've always carried with me since the beginning of any type of creative expression. You also said early on that you really saw the album as an opportunity to redefine how we see Latinas. I wanted to get into what that part of it meant to you. Yeah, for me, art is a spiritual language. It's not necessarily about whether it's in Spanish, whether it's in English, whether it's in this genre or that genre. I've always just champions being as 
me creatively and expressive with all the different dimensions of myself that need to be expressed because I feel like I have a lot I have a lot to express and I never want to compromise or keep myself in any type of narrow-minded view that that makes me feel like oh I can this is what works for me or this is what works in general and I'm just going to express myself in this one way. I feel like there's so many different sides of me that need to be expressed. So for me that that's a huge part of what I do is doing everything without limitations and being continuing to be unpredictable in the way that I create. And that's something that I feel like is lacking a lot in the Latin space is I think that people really just view us as synonymous to the same the same things and the same sounds and I really want to work to expand expand that sound and expand that look and expand that that range of what we can do who we are and no matter if you resonate with any of my work or who you are what you do or I always just wish to inspire people to be their most authentic selves whatever that may be and just express themselves however they want are there ways that you feel like throughout your career people have tried to pigeonhole you or, or expectations that they've set on you being a, a Latina artist? And I think you've shown throughout your career that you do many different kinds of things. Yeah, I think when I started, like the main word that I would hear a lot was niche. Like, oh, yeah, you will always be able to have a niche fan base, but it's never going to get past a certain ceiling because it's not it doesn't fit into one box it was always very much okay so where are you from are you from Colombia? are you from the United States do you do this music or do you do that music what is it and for me my experience in what I know now as the Anglo market is that being a Latin artist means that a lot of times we are categorized as a Latin artist as if it's a genre, which is strange because there are so many subgenres. And also I make music that isn't just in Spanish either. So I make so much different genres in English. I make so many different genres in Spanish. So for me, it's like weird to be categorized based off of my ethnicity is a little bit strange. And it's also just crazy to like people say Latin music, but it's obviously not a genre and even little yeah. genres within Latin music. Like cumbia can mean something totally different in Colombia versus Mexico versus Peru. It's just a crazy construct that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. So walk me through a little bit about the creative process. Where were you at in your career when you were making this album? Red Moon and Venus came out and that was like one of the albums that we loved last year. Where did Orquídeas find you? Uh, I think that now looking at the bigger picture of my discography, I try to always just do things that I've never done before. And that's part of what makes music fun for me is just expanding, pushing myself. And so for me, I was like, oh, I've never done a full album of up songs or like up tempo music or dance music, you could say. So I would say this is my one album where there's probably only like two down tempo songs on it. Majority of it is, even though it's all so many different genres and it has that in common with my other albums, that it's very genre bending. The one thing that they all have in common is that they are, most of them have a lot of energy. And you have, you've obviously made music in English and Spanish throughout your whole career, but Sing Miedo was your first Spanish language album. How did the process of having done that one before influence what came on Orquídeas? I never really looked to do the same thing over again. I think that in that way it inspired me because I tried to push myself through different ranges of genres that I hadn't that I hadn't played with on Sin Miedo. 
So, yeah, like merengue or house or even more alternative sounds that I feel like that never happened on Sin Miedos. And you get a sense of that sort of upbeat energy just from the get with Como Así. Why did you want to kick things off there? That song just real is just really fresh. I don't know anything that sounds like that. And it had so many different, I want to say like such an eclectic range of inspiration deeply embedded into it that I was like, wow, there's nothing like this. So I really wanted to open the album with something that, you know, even though I play with traditional sounds on the album as well, or even more dream poppy type sounds or I play with genres that already exist this was the one song that I really felt like it's there it's its own genre of I don't even know what genre it is that being the case I felt like I needed to open the album with it for sure and then across the album we see you going there's like little snippets of places where you do switch date to English and you just do it seamlessly throughout the whole thing how is your process just thinking about language and thinking about bilingualism changed as you've gone project to project my process really changed in the sense that I learned how to be able to express myself in a way that I have multiple projects open so that no matter what I feel inspired to create on a day-to-day basis, I have somewhere to put that rather than telling myself like, oh, today I have to be in this mindset because I'm working on this particular project and it has this particular sound or I'm leaning into just English right now or just Spanish right now. I don't like to limit myself yeah, that's the main way that has changed my process is, is that normally work on more than one project I want out in the course of one time. I wrote most of this music when I was writing Red Moon and Venus, so I wrote most of this music a long time ago. One of the most unexpected moments for me was Igual que un ángel, which has a peso pluma feature that I was mm-hmm. not expecting at all. And yeah. it's also just crazy to hear peso pluma on a song that sounds like that. I'm so interested in that, how that collaboration happened and how you even pictured that he was the person to to, to put there because it works so well, but it's also just completely unpredictable. Yeah, it goes back to what I was telling you about how I just want to I just want to do things that nobody would expect. And when I when people listen to my music, I want them to feel inspired in that way. And so honestly, when I first made the song, I didn't think that I would have any feature on it. It felt very complete. And but I knew that I did want him on my album because I love Mexico and I wanted to incorporate El Nivel Mundial. He's like doing such an amazing job representing and one of the biggest artists out of Mexico right now, for sure. So everybody who's on my album represents a different part of Latin culture besides JT, which I, I love that she's a part of it, too, because it's, it's it was really fun and unpredictable to get her on a song with El Alfa. So that was still did what I needed to do. That was my main reason for wanting him on the album. And then I wasn't sure what he would do with the song. He ended up being able to do his thing and I think he surprised all of us that he really wrote it the way he needed to and did his thing. What was the process of connecting with him? Had you guys met before or what was the relationship between the two of you? No, I I really like to just keep business when it comes to men, especially. I have a lot of boundaries. So I just had sent the music through people that knew him. And we have a mutual respect for each other's work. It was very respectful. I've never met him and we never like 
did it in person or anything like we never was in the studio together so I did a little bit of work to it I felt like I needed to blend it in with my vocals a little bit better and I did I did some work to the parts but I was in general just happy that he was able to even be that versatile and open-minded to a genre so different from what he's used to doing. Definitely. Another surprise you mentioned is Muñequita with El Alf and, and JT, which again is like completely unexpected, just that pairing and the sound on it. Where did that song kind of start for you? I was just going through a bunch of beats, trying to look for something fun and girly. And when I heard that one, it really stuck out to me because it felt still playful and unique and fresh in its own way. It didn't sound like anything else that was on the album. So I just immediately started writing on it. And then I felt like they, they're such a unique combination of artists because they come from two different worlds and they're completely different. You would never expect me to do a song with them and you would never expect them to do a song with each other so for me that was really fun and I wrote her whole verse for her I wrote her whole part for her and she just came to my house and she cut it really easily she didn't even have to do that many takes I just helped her a few times with like her enunciation on certain words because she doesn't speak Spanish but it came super natural to her and it was really easy yeah it all came together really well and then his part same thing as Peso Pluma I had just sent it to him I already had him on the song when I wrote her part and when I showed it to her so yeah that was pretty much how it all came together I love how it blends those worlds and I feel like it's such a good it's almost like a just like a metaphor of what you do in general in your music of being able to take so many influences and make them something new yeah there's also like little touches of like latin classics like a little bolero influence and we've also seen you do that throughout your career how do you think about i guess those kind of old school influences like how does that show up in in your work I think that throughout genre and throughout eras, I've always been inspired by nostalgia. And I love I love singers from the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. It's across so many different eras that I just appreciate. Any music that is timeless, any music that I think is so cool that I could listen to a song from any of those eras and still appreciate it today. In this year, to me, timeless music is the most important thing in the world and to make and as an artist it's what you strive to do to make something that's going to be able to transcend time I'm always really inspired by yeah any artist that for me feels timeless and for me feels like they they've transcended that What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. One thing outside of the album, one thing that you said in the conversation earlier is that there's been parts of your career when people have tried to talk about you having a niche audience or a niche sound. And I was at your Coachella set this year where it was such an incredibly huge group of people that came out to see you and to be part of your set. I'm wondering how that moment felt and how you see it as you see the evolution of, of your fan base. Yeah, I think it's something really beautiful. I'm definitely grateful for 
the opportunity to be able to grow every year. And I haven't yet felt that I hit that ceiling that everybody was talking about. But I think that sometimes people just don't really see the potential in artists when it's something that hasn't been sold or marketed before. It's not something that, you know, because the people who would say that type of stuff to me, it's like industry executives. So they're just very used to, it's a business to them and they're just very used to whatever they can put into a package and a box. And so when you don't just, when you aren't just one thing and you are as multi-dimensional of an artist as I am, I think it's a lot harder for people to figure out how to sell me as a product which is that what their job is to do is to figure out how to commercialize you as an artist so yeah I think that's the main thing is it's easier for them to sell what they already know works and but but as an artist I think they don't realize that being multi-dimensional is a lot of different people's experiences my goals with making music was never to be commercial or to have a mass to have a mass appeal and I was always okay with I might not be for everybody that's okay but I'm just me and I'm not gonna compromise who I am or or what I'm doing or show only just this one tiny piece of myself in order to be able to go down people's throats easier I don't want to I never wanted to to subject myself to that because for me that would be a career not worth having I think that my my purpose as a creative, as an artist, has always just been to, I told you, express myself freely, inspire healing, inspire other people to be their most authentic selves, and also to give myself the life that I always felt I deserved, which was a life where I can get up and do whatever I want to do every day. Yeah, appreciating what to me is the real luxuries in life is like time and yeah, having that self-power. And I think that if you compromise yourself as an artist, you don't, you're not actually doing what you want to do every day. So it's like, what is the point? How have you been able to maintain that, that autonomy? I think that there's a fine line between, because it's like you do, of course, you want to take it as far as you can take it and you want to be successful as you can possibly be. And you want to prove everyone wrong about what you're capable of and, and all of that. But at the same time, I think that I think just having an understanding of when I started making music, I never was thinking about the industry or anything like that. And now that I understand more about this business how it very much can consume you and end up being like a rat race and is very competitive and it's very a lot of people look at it less like art and more like a sport and and a Mm. competition and for me I, I just don't I don't think that anybody's value should be tied to how profitable they are to capitalism or how desirable they are on a mass scale to the eye or to the ear or to whatever. So I think just keeping all of that in mind and just remembering why I started doing this in the first place and, and my personal values is the main thing that keeps me grounded, even when sometimes people may try to, even though sometimes people might try to, people try to shame you and, and make you feel like you're less than because of your position or back to what I was saying about how profitable you are to capitalism. And then it goes back to just wondering, wait, why? It's like people try to trick you into thinking that's the most important thing when at the end of the day, you're just making majority of that money for other people. So it's really just the, it's really just a trap. Yeah. One part of your artistry that 
you've really been able to preserve and that feels uniquely you in addition to, to the music is also the visual and, and aesthetic element. I'm wondering how that comes together for you and how specifically it came together on, on Orquídeas. For me, for, for Orquídeas, I feel like every song really is its own era and its own aesthetic. And so I look at every song really as a different chapter in the one big book and every chapter serves its own purpose and every chapter has its own setting and and its own landscape and none of them really exist in the same place but they just all exist in the same world and I think that's how I tried to just look at the making of the album. One that's been making a ton of waves everywhere right now and, and I love it so much is your song uh, Labios Mordidos with Carol G. Thank you. And Carol has talked a lot about you to Rolling Stone, and it just sounds like that your friendship has really led to this bounty of music, and it seems like you guys are really connected. Yeah, I told her I was like, honestly, the most special part about the making of or the process of us, you know, following through with, because I made this song actually so long ago. Like I told you, I was making this music when I was making Red Moon and Venus, early 2021. And I had first started talking to her about jumping on the record, probably, I want to say 2022. It's just, yeah, being able to, to create a friendship and have that, like, big sis communication with her where it's I feel like there's definitely a mutual understanding we're both Colombian and we're both in a similar line of work I feel like what she does is super different to what I do but I definitely am able to have such a different I feel experience of communication with other female artists in general I feel like we we have a really good mutual understanding and she's very grounded she's very respectful she's been doing this for so long and she has such a dedication to to her work so it's always cool to get her perspective on things and to be able to just talk about things openly. And honestly, I have really enjoyed getting to know her. I feel like it was very much a full circle moment because and not even just obviously her being representing Latinas on a global scale musically, but also for, for Colombia, like she's I'm really proud of just how far she's taken it and how far she's come and how she represents Colombia on a, on a global scale. So I think that in itself is something to really be proud of. And and yeah, I feel really honored to be able to have her on the album. You said at the beginning of the call that you're already working on the album that comes after this. What are some of the things that are inspiring you and the vibe and maybe the headspace that, that you're in? The next album that's coming is completely different from Orquídeas. It's completely different from Red Moon and Venus. And I would say that it's... I want to say that it's probably the most thematically and genre cohesive album that I've ever made, which is very different for me because my since my first album, which was called Isolationist, I've always done this thing where it's like there's always been a lot of different genres on my, on my albums. And so this is my first time where I'm very much more so centering on one sound more than ever for the full project. And since Orquídeas was a lot of up-tempo, this is my first time having a full album of it's mainly down-tempo. So it's been really fun for me, and I feel like it's definitely my most vulnerable music to date. It's very existential is probably the best word that I could say for the entire project. I would say existential. I can't wait to hear it. And again, I love Orgelia so much. We've been so excited about this one. So Thank I'm excited you. for this one to come out and then the, the next one right after, hopefully. 
And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.